We will be studying the book of Hosea today. We're going to be covering a lot of ground, so we're going to be moving pretty quick. So if you can, turn with me to the book of Hosea. As you're turning, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift that you've given us. We thank you for the love that you pour out upon us, Father. We thank you for the book of Hosea and what it teaches us. Thank you for all all that you've given us and just the rich, rich blessings, Father. I pray that you just be with us this morning. I pray that we'll just learn from your word, um, that your spirit will be poured out upon us. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a confession this morning. I wanted to share something with you. Um, it's a little embarrassing, but I wanted to share it with you. What I want to share is I like romantic comedies. I got it off my chest. I feel better. I like watching those cheesy, heartwarming movies, you know, the Hallmark Channel kind of things. I like seeing the start of this awkward relationship. You have a really goofy guy, does some really dumb things. At first, the, the woman thinks, this guy's I mean, what's wrong with this guy? Eventually, she starts thinking he's sweet. And then their relationship blossoms into a relationship where they finally, the final scene shows them getting married. And you have this beautiful scene. There's joy and dancing. It's cheesy, I know. But I I like it. Now, the problem with those types of movies, besides you all losing some respect for me, is they portray a love that's that butterfly-in-your-stomach type of feeling. That's, that's what love is in these movies. And after a while, after the butterflies have flown away, you think that the love is over. You know, the, those, those movies, they never really show the end of their relationship. You can fall in in love, you can fall out of love, it's, that's how they define it. Now, when you're asked to define love, when I'm asked to define love, how many of you, like me, have had that kind of that brain-straining, stammering opportunity trying to define it? You know what I'm talking about. Someone asks you what it is, and you try to describe it, and you say, well, love is... Um, well, love does... Eventually, we remember 1 Corinthians 13, and we start to quote, but we only get as far as love is patient, love is kind, love is... And then we have to look it up because we don't remember the rest. Our ums and our ahs, uhs, they testify that love is very difficult to define. It's very difficult to understand. But God defines it for us, and he does it in many different ways. Sometimes he does it in poetry and in song. Sometimes he does it in statements, in propositions. Sometimes, like what we're going to study today, he does it in narrative and in story. We'll be looking at the story of Hosea and his wife Gomer. It's a story that demonstrates God's own heart towards us. The story is a a broken marriage. It's, in many ways, this story is all too common. It, not many days go by 
and we hear about some high-level executive or some government official who's caught up in this scandal, or you have broken marriages, it's, it's all too common. But looking at this story, it's utterly unique. It ranks up there as one of the greatest stories in all of literature. Because it's not just a story of a broken covenant, it's a story of covenant faithfulness. It's a story of debauchery and a story of devotion. It's a story of lewdness and a story of loyalty. Hosea, he's a prophet. He's a prophet to Israel. He's trying to tell the people of Israel, come back to God. See, they've, they've wandered from God. They've, they've sought other gods. They're chasing after Baal and the gods of those days. And Hosea's ministry is unusual because his message is actually his family. His family is the message. God spoke before in different ways, but here he's speaking through his family. He's showing that Israel's idolatry, it looks like Gomer's infidelity. So in verses 1 and 2, we'll read, says the word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Bari, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So the, the theme of this story is, Hosea demonstrates to us the odiousness of our sin and the inexhaustible redeeming love of God. The story of Hosea demonstrates to us the odiousness of our sin and the inexhaustible love of God. So you can just picture it. Hosea is commanded by God to go and find this wife, this whore, goes to the local brothel, goes there and he finds Gomer. He picks her out. At first, she thinks he's just another customer. She grabs him by the hand. She starts to lead him to the back. And he says, no, 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 no. That, that's not what I'm here for. That's, that's not why I'm here. I'm here because I want you to be my wife. The name Jezreel sounding in the ears of any Jew would have conjured up thoughts that God is going to discipline them for their sin. The name was a warning. It was saying, return to the Lord. Do not persist in your sin. So child one is born. And then child two is born, verse six through seven. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, but I would uh, ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by the bow, sword, battle, horse, or horseman. So Gomer and Hosea have this second child. And notice in verse 3 it says she bore him a son. Yet here it says she conceived. 
Hosea has this suspicion, the suspicion that Gomer has not been faithful to him. He's not sure if this is his child. And you can kind of see that in the child's name. Some of your translations say, call, call this child no mercy. See, his, his nine suspicions plagued his thought life. Lo Rahama, it just it means no mercy. So the natural affections that a father would have towards a child, Hosea just doesn't have towards this child. He's not sure if it's his child. You can just picture Hosea putting his child to bed at night. Um, he's not sure where Gomer is. She's out that night. The child says, Daddy, where's mommy? And Hosea doesn't know how to answer this child. He tucks them both in. He turns out the light. He, he sits in the front room waiting for Gomer to walk through that door. You know, no doubt those questions, those agonizing questions start to fill his mind. Where is she? What is she doing? Who is she with? Why is she out so late? Why, why does she act so strange when she comes home? Has she been faithful to me? Lo Rahama doesn't really look like me. And child three is born, verses eight through nine. When she had weaned Lo Rahama, she conceived and gave birth to a son. The Lord said, name him Lo Ami, for you are not my people and I am not your God. So months, possibly years pass between the, the second and third child. Those agonizing questions that plagued Hosea's mind. Has, has Gomer been faithful to me? They continue to occupy his mind. But Gomer could not hide her infidelity for, for that long because that baby bump would show eventually, right? So those nine suspicions in Hosea's mind become a damning reality. Hosea knows for a fact this time, this is not my child. So he names the child Lo-Ami, which literally means this is not mine. It's not my people. This is not my kin, some of your translations say. His suspicions were true. She had been cheating on him. I'm sure Hosea's heart sank deep in his chest. This is not a one-time thing. Can you imagine this, the sorrow and betrayal that, that he felt during this time? See, Gomer, she hasn't simply broken this marriage contract between the two. She had sinned against Hosea in one of the most heart-wrenching ways, hasn't she? She's cheated on him. This is personal. Now remember, this is a story that's communicating to us what God thinks of our sin. Gomer's unfaithfulness shows us that it shows us the severity of our sin and what it looks like to God. When we sin, we don't simply break a law. That's not what it is. It is that, but it's more than that. When we sin, we actually are committing a form of spiritual adultery against God. We defy God, the God who gave us life and breath, and everything else. We don't simply transgress a, a, a rule that God created when we sin. 
we, in, in a sense, spit in God's face. We're unfaithful to him. See, the specific sin that Israel was committing at this time was they were worshiping Baal. But any sin is a form of spiritual adultery. It's against God. You can see this in other passages. You can see this throughout the Bible. When Joseph is tempted to sin with Potiphar's wife, he doesn't say, I can't sin against Potiphar and do this stuff. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Because every sin is ultimately against God. You see this with David when he sins with Bathsheba. When confronted with his sin, David says, against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned. We're not simply breaking a law. We are sinning against God. So catch this. A little lie on our tongue is not no big deal. Hate in our heart is not a small thing, brothers and sisters. Lust in our minds is not inconsequential. These are all damning things because ultimately sins are spiritual adultery. They're personal against God. Now, romantic comedies, as much as I like them, they would never have a story like this. They would never have spiritual, uh, I'm sorry, serial adultery like this. You would never see that. It's not romantic. There's no comedy in it. In the world's eyes, Gomer's behavior is absolutely unforgivable. You know, we, we can't think of a relationship being able to survive something like this. How does Hosea and Gomer, how do they get back to normal? You see, even though her sin was odious, even though her unfaithfulness was, was disgusting, her unfaithfulness to Hosea was not enough to exhaust his redeeming love for her. That is an amazing story. God instructs Hosea. He says, go, love her. Go, with, go after her. Go win her back, Hosea. You know, Hollywood, they can't comprehend a love like this. This is something that defies our sensibilities. It assaults our senses. What, Homer, what Gomer did to Hosea, is, it's revolting. Yet her sin doesn't exhaust his redeeming love for her. What God is trying to teach us is that our sin, as odious and revolting as it is, it doesn't exhaust God's love for us. Now, when studying for this message, I was plagued by the guilt and the shame of my own personal sin. What I did, it was wicked, it was evil. But I thought of this sermon, I thought of God's grace towards me, and what I did did not exhaust God's love towards me. He loves me. He sent his son to die for me. He pours out his spirit so that I can overcome that sin. My sin did not exhaust God's love for me, and that was a great comfort to me. 
And that's our second point. I don't know if you all saw it. There, there's an uh, uh, outline in your bulletin. Um, so you could follow along because we're going to be moving really quickly here. Our second point is our unfaithfulness to God is not enough to exhaust God's redeeming love. Let's look at this redeeming love. Hosea, he, he gives us five pictures, five images of what redeeming love does. First of all, redeeming love flows from the covenant God made with his people. God's love is inexhaustible because it's based on the promises that he made. Verses 10 through 2, one. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. They will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from that land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, Ami, and your sisters, Ruhamah, You are my people. You have received mercy. So Hosea, he, he looks at these children. Looks in their eyes. They look back at him. He knows they're not his children. He has no obligation to them. They're Gomer's problem, aren't they? They're not his problem. He owes them nothing. Yet he looks at them and he says, I will be your father. You will be my children. He tells them, I will take care of you. Now, why did Hosea say this? Why would he raise the children that proved Gomer's infidelity? Why would he do that? Hosea, in these verses, he actually quotes from three covenants. I don't know if you saw it. Verse 10, he says, the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. It's the Abrahamic covenant, right? God takes Abraham out and he shows him the stars, shows him the sand of the sea, and he says, so will your descendants be. I'm making a covenant with you right now, Abraham. It's a promise that I guarantee to you. Verse 10, he says, you will be children of the living God. This is a promise that God made to Moses in the Mosaic covenant. He redeemed the children out of Egypt and he promises that they will be children of the living God. And then in verse 11, it says, They shall appoint for themselves one head. That's Israel and Judah. This is actually the Davidic promise. God promises that he's going to give them a king that will save them from their enemies. So Hosea, he looks at these promises, these covenants that God has made with his people. He sees that as a, as a pattern of how God responds to his people, how he reacts towards them. This is the pattern And he says, I will be faithful to my marriage covenant. This is how God's acted towards his people. This is what I will do. God has promised these things. So my love is based on the covenant that God made with his people. What Hosea didn't know at this time, what he he didn't understand fully, 
was that those promises, those covenants that God made with his people ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. See, our sin, they demanded penalty. But Jesus, he takes that penalty upon himself. He takes it on the cross and he nails it there. He sheds his blood there so that you can experience forgiveness of sins. So that you can experience the Holy Spirit shed in your heart to overcome sin. That's where God offers forgiveness and where he promises that he will save people. This is the blood of Christ's covenant. This is redeeming love. It it redeems us from the experience of our own sin through the blood of Christ's covenant. So in love, God offers a covenant to us namely Jesus Christ, to pour out his redeeming love. So God's love is inexhaustible because it is based on the promises he made. So redeeming love flows from the covenant God made with his people. The second picture Hosea gives is redeeming love does not give us what we deserve. See, God's love is inexhaustible because it's not based on our works. It's not based on what we do. We're going to move quickly here, but verse 2, Hosea has the legal right to divorce Gomer. He says, she is not my wife. I am not her husband. Verse 3 of chapter 2, Hosea could take everything from her. He says, I will strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like the wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. In verse 4 through 5, he summarizes, I'm doing this. I can do this because of what she's done to me. She's been unfaithful to me. Verse 5 says, For their mother has played the whore. She has conceived them and has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who have given me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. So you can just picture this. Verse 4 and 5. Hosea comes home from work. Like normal, Gomer isn't there again. She's not at home. Like normal, he puts the kids to bed, tucks them in, go by the front door. He waits for her, waits for her to come through that door after her night of debauchery. But this time, she doesn't come home. Next morning, the children ask, where's mom? Another night goes by, same thing, she doesn't come home. Then another night, and finally he realized, she's actually left me. She's gone. Maybe the life of a stay-at-home mom was just too boring for Gomer. Maybe she missed the thrill of her old life. Whatever the case, she left Hosea and her children. She went after her lover's. She, they provided for her. She went after them. So from one guy to the next, following that, whatever thrill gave her the next high, she left. Verse 6 through 7, Hosea has the ability to make life so difficult for her. He could take everything from her. Verse 6, I will hedge her up with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find the past. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but she shall not find them. 
even though Gomer deserves all this, Hosea doesn't respond this way. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't respond in vengeance. She deserves it, but redeeming love doesn't give us what we deserve. And this is the message of the gospel, brothers and sisters. The message of the gospel is, if you've trusted in Christ for your salvation, God never gives you what you deserve. Never. Never. Christ took what you deserve upon his shoulders, and he died for it. You will forever and ever and ever receive grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, blessing upon blessing. Because God's love is inexhaustible because it is not based on your works. Redeeming love does not give us what we deserve. Third picture that Hosea shows to us. Redeeming love provides for us even in our sin. Because God's love is inexhaustible, all we receive from the Lord are good gifts. So you can just picture with me. Gomer is moving from man to man to man. This time, she's fallen into the hands of a man who could not provide for her. She's starving. She's thirsty. She's without clothes. So in verse 8, it says, chapter 2, She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold which they used for Baal. Probably looks something like this. Hosea, he looks for Gomer. He finds her. He finds where she's staying. She's staying at this man's house. So he goes to this man's house. He knocks on the door. Man answers. He says, is this where Gomer is staying? He says, yeah, what do you want? He says, well, I'm, I'm Gomer's husband. The guy clenches his fist. He's ready for a fight. He says, no, that, that's not why I'm here. I heard that Gomer doesn't have enough to eat. I heard that she, she doesn't have food or clothing or money. So take this food and this, and this money. Give it to her so that she can have enough. The man eagerly accepts this gift. He gives it to Gomer, but he doesn't tell Gomer This is actually from Hosea. He takes the credit. So she doesn't know. This was actually from Hosea. This is is really a powerful image that tells us all good gifts. Everything that we have is really a gift from God. You may think you have a successful career because of your intellect. Or maybe the strength of your right hand. You may think you're a good parent, you have good kids because you're such a good father or mother. But what God says to you now is, do you not know it was I who gave these things to you? I did not give you what what you deserve. I gave you grace and mercy. I provided these to you as gifts. The Apostle Paul tells us the same thing. He says, why... Do you have, um, or what, what do you have that you do, did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? See, 
Brothers and sisters, we're here today, clothed and in our right mind, worshiping God, listening to his word, not because we deserved it, but because they're gifts. God's love is inexhaustible because, or because it's inexhaustible, he gives us nothing but good gifts. Redeeming love provides for us, even in our sin. Fourth picture, redeeming love disciplines us for our good. We're going to move really quickly through this. Because God's love is inexhaustible, it doesn't let us persist in sin. Now, before we actually read the passage, discipline may seem like a contradiction to what we just saw, right? I thought God doesn't give us what we deserve. Let me tell you, it's not a contradiction. And we'll see why here in a second. This discipline that Hosea displays here, it's done out of love. Let's read it. Verse 9, Hosea is going to cause Gomer to lack the basic needs. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. I will take back my wool and the flax, which were to cover her nakedness. So he, he takes back the basic needs. Um, he causes her to lack basic needs. Hosea, he brings shame upon Gomer in verse 10. I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her from my hand. Hosea brings an end to the joy of Gomer's sin in verse 11. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her appointed feasts. Verse 12 through 13, Hosea is going to do away with the wages that Gomer's prostitution brought in. I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees of which she said, these are the wages which my lovers have given me. So he takes from her. He causes her to to need. He causes shame to fall upon her. He causes the joy of her sin to end. So Gomer has now been stripped of all that she once sought after. The fleeting joy of her sin has now dissipated and all she has is shame and guilt. Now, it's important that we don't take these actions as if Hosea is pouring out vengeance upon her. Gomer deserves that, but this is not vengeance. What he's giving to her is discipline. For vengeance has no end in mind. It's utterly hopeless. This is discipline. Discipline has a goal of restoration and repentance. You see that in verse 14 with the word therefore. The word therefore shows that all of these things are being done so that a better thing can come. We're going to fly through this. Verse 14, he speaks tenderly to her to woo her back. Verse 15, he opens up a door of hope for her. Verse 16 through 17, he reinstates himself as her husband. Verse 18, he restores the covenant of their marriage. Verse 19 through 20, he actually remarries her again. Verse 21 through 23, he provides for her again. He gives her food and drink and clothing. He cares for her children. This is the purpose of Hosea's discipline. It's to bring her back. 
And that's what the author of the book of Hebrews tells us, what the Lord's discipline is for. Right? It tells us the Lord's discipline is for our good. The Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For that moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but, ra- but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So believer, you may be suffering today. You may think um, you were going through something because God's punishing you. You may be going through hardship, but it's not God pouring out vengeance upon you. It's because God loves you. Your suffering is not God's punishment. It may be a way that God is actually somehow causing you to bring him specific glory. It may be that these trials are producing in you steadfastness. It could be the Lord's discipline on you so that it's preventing you from further sin. But it's not punishment. You see, the the Lord has to strip us before he clothes us. The Lord has to humble us before he exalts us. You have to be lost before you are found, brothers and sisters. This is discipline for our good. Because love, God's love is inexhaustible, it doesn't let us persist in sin. Redeeming love disciplines us for our good. Fifthly and lastly, the fifth picture, God's redeeming love. Um, he redeems us and purchases us from slavery. Because God's love is inexhaustible, it saves us to the uttermost. The unthinkable happens. Gomer returns to her old ways. She returns to her old way of living. She returns to her prostitution. She abandons her family again. This time, she falls into the hands of a man who just doesn't care for her. So he sells her into slavery. She's a slave this time. Like an ox goes to the slaughter, so she persists in her sin. Like a dog returns to her vomit, so she returns to her prostitution. So Hosea searches for her again. He finds her. This time she legally belongs to someone else. She's someone else's slave. And historians tell us that oftentimes slaves were sold at market. There's a bidding block. They also tell us that many times slaves were stripped of all their clothing, placed on the block, and bidding starts. So you can just picture it. The bidding starts. Hosea starts the bid. Other people top his bid. And what's, what's unique here is slaves usually go for 30 shekels of silver. What Hosea pays for her is not 30 shekels of silver. He pays for her 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even the Lord, as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver, 
and a homer and a half of barley. Now, Hosea isn't, he buys her for, for this price probably because she squandered his money. He doesn't have 30 shekels of silver. This is all he has. So he, he, he says, will you take 15 shekels? And I have, I have barley. I'm a barley farmer. Will you take that? He tops the bid and he wins her back. He doesn't do it for vengeance though. He purchases her to restore her. Look at verse three. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be towards you. What Hosea is saying to Gomer, what God is saying to us, what you could not do on your own accord, you can do now as a purchased possession. I redeemed you from slavery. That's what, that's what the New Testament tells us. You were bought with a price, First Corinthians tells us. Therefore, glorify God. First Peter tells us, you were purchased from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Believer, because of your sin, you had a price on your head. Christ is the one who came to earth. He died on the cross and he paid that price. He set you free from sin and bondage. And he says to you, you are mine. You're mine. I pour out my Holy Spirit into you so that now you have the power to overcome sin in your life. I will be your God and you will be my people and you will dwell with me for many days. God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can obey. Because God's love is inexhaustible, it saves us to the uttermost. God's redeeming love purchases us from slavery to our sin. So the gift of love this morning. It's not sentimental niceties. God's love reaches down into the slum of our despair and it redeems our life and it restores us. Even though our sin is wicked, it cannot exhaust his love for us. So I pray, believers, you start to comprehend what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us. Unbeliever, I pray you enter into this love by placing your trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've poured upon us.